kill me. Today we're focusing on human trafficking, and I do have a guest speaker here with me today, Angela. Hello. Uh, she is a marriage and family therapist as well. We actually went to school together, so she's going to give some insight from a professional's perspective on some of the topics that we'll be talking about. Um, and like I said, the first one here will be um, about human trafficking. And so I chose this topic mainly because recently we were asked to become certified or trained or what was that, a little certification? Yeah, the, the state is requiring us mm -hmm. to become certified in trafficking and that we have to take a course for mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and so that course basically gave us a glimpse into the lives of human trafficking victims, um, the different forms it consists of, um, some of the psychological and physical effects for um, individuals that, that individuals face having been in this position of, of sex trafficking or human trafficking. But we'll mainly focus on sex trafficking, I think. I didn't even know that there was a difference between like the different forms of trafficking. Like I knew there was labor, right. but the difference between sex and human trafficking, I always thought it was sort of lumped. But right, really. right. But there's because of the different formalities or the different uh, types of trafficking, that's where it's not just sex mm -hmm. because men, women and children are getting taken and forced into into uh, trafficking. And, and that's been a problem all over the world. After doing some research on here and looking more into it, I got interested to see exactly how this was related to Michigan and comes to find out we're basically ranked number two behind Nevada in human trafficking, um, which is often repeated on the news. How often did you hear about that? Or when did you hear that we were number two? Was it after it was about, the course or before? Um, it, it was before the course. Okay. I, I heard about it um, probably about a year ago. Oh, okay. And so I was just doing more research into that to see why, why are we number two? And some of the reasons that were listed is because one our proximity to Canada um, some of the events that we hold here in Michigan, like sex trafficking seems to rise when we host the auto show out in Detroit. Um, a lot of people come from a lot of places to see that. And then the art prize here in Grand Rapids, um, those two are claimed to be some of the more um, high traffic events. And so traffickers tend to come to those in order to, to get people who are um, unsuspecting, so to speak. Uh, so after looking in, more into that, of course, once you start reading about something, you start to see it everywhere. So I've been seeing numerous headlines, and I'm sure you all have as well, about human trafficking. So I'll go into reading some of those ones that I found interesting anyway. Um, so this one I found back in October, and the title of the headline was Macomb Sex Trafficking Case Spotlights Issue. A 29-year-old disabled woman held captive in a couple's shed in a tiny neighborhood forced to perform sexual services with strangers. That was very disturbing to me. The fact that this was a disabled woman, nonetheless, and then it was a couple who was holding her and forcing her to perform these sexual acts. That was just unbelievable. Um, another headline I saw was massive FBI operation rescues 12 minors from sex trafficking in Michigan. Eight traffickers were arrested and 46 adults were taken into custody for prostitution. So, That's crazy that it was that many people involved. Yes, involved. These rings are lucrative, though. I found that out too. That they they make a mm -hmm. lot of money uh, trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, two other headlines that I saw that I'll go a little bit more to detail um, about. One of them was survivor shares story of being sold by family into sex trafficking in Michigan. Woman hopes her story raises awareness about signs of sex slavery. So this one really stood out to me. I think she had came from like Kentucky or something and her parents had sold her to her 
some other relatives that were here in Michigan and they uh, was selling her right out of their home. So some of the quotes around this article that I picked out, uh, she says, sometimes sex traffickers looks just like family members. This is a quote from her. Um, she said, I was sold at 12, almost 13 by my mother to my sister and brother-in-law from Kentucky to Michigan. She said she went to school, had friends and kept a secret. The secret was that she was a sex slave. Uh, she's quoted here saying, my brother-in-law was selling me to men who would come to the home from our house. I was going to school. I have friends and I was still being sold from inside my home. Now she's in an ever evolving process of healing, speaking to anyone who will listen to her story and take a moment to notice the signs of trafficking. She's quoted saying, if people knew what to look for, it would be so glaringly obvious that something was happening. Wow. That like hit because it's like you're going to school every day. You're still living your life normally. Yet every time you come home, there's a chance that you might have to perform sexual acts on this person that you have no idea who they are. Or even, you know, what if she's not even sexually active at this point? Right. Right. Well, and the thing is, as a as a teacher and personally, I've been a substitute for the last two years, you know, um, not seeing the signs, you don't know. That's not, unless the child comes forward and tells you that something mm-hmm. is happening at home, then there's, you know, really nothing mm-hmm. that we would know. Right. Because even if her parents didn't know, you know, these are family members that are supposed to be protecting her. Right. So that's how so many people can fall between the cracks and knowing that, oh, she's she has a nice home. She's living with her family members. They would know before we would, you know, thinking right. from the school perspective or... Right. Well, and unless there is a problem at school with behavior Mm -hmm. or grades, then no one would even go to the home or have a reason to check things out. Exactly. Yep. I would totally agree with that 100%. And that was, that was, yeah, that took a lot out of me to read that. And like I said, to know that she came from somewhere else to be with someone else and was still treated the way that she was. It's almost like, would she have done better if she weren't there? Which isn't necessarily the case in this you but know, didn't you topic, read but. that she was sold, her her, mm-hmm. her, mother, her sold mother sold her, her. to mm. her sister and brother-in-law. So there was already a oh. process of her being sold from one family member to the other family member. So that's a part of, that's human and sex trafficking. Because yeah. the human part is her just being sold as a person, not right. necessarily for any reason. But right. then now that she's been sold... So that's a, even a, a whole other situation in itself of how this sort of line works because being sold to different people like so even after experiencing a traumatic event of being sold by her mother to these people and then Mm -hmm. being sold again and again right and by the idea that she even knew that she was sold by her mother in the first in the first place you know Mm. how would she know you know what i mean like right unless that just goes to show her her mom was just like yeah or that was what the sister told her Mm -hmm. you know that they paid for that they bought her gave her mother money so that she would come and live with them Mm -hmm. You know, you the and story. then she would have to basically, you know, in essence, live out her debt. Mm-hmm. If her mom's sister had to pay for her, then mm-hmm. she became a slave by paying off the debt that they incurred by paying for her. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something I picked up, too, in the course, that is sometimes it's generational. Because what if her mom was sold by her mom? You know what I'm saying? That's the only reason mm-hmm. she even got into the position of being able to sell her daughter of being, you know, um, all in the the drug game and prostitution. And there's a lot of prostitutes who sell their children for those gains. And that brings me to the next story, too, because I think there was some generational stuff with the Centoya Brown case. And that's a little different in that fact that 
she's receiving a lot of media attention, even though this case took place, what, almost 10 years ago? I think it was back in 2006 when she was sentenced. Right, was right. It? And so um, there's a lot of celebrities involved around her case. And a little bit behind what happened there is there was a 16-year-old girl who was tried as an adult, convicted of first-degree murder. Um, and she was convicted because she had killed one of her Johns. So apparently she had ran away at like 16, I believe, or even a couple years before that, maybe 14. And so she was being sold or prostituted by her boyfriend at the time. And this guy, John Allen, I think his name was, he, um, was actually one of her, her Johns and she killed him in his sleep is what the article said. We just did a little bit of research around that. Right. The article said that um, he was an upstanding citizen. He at his church um, and that he he was a very well-known man in the and was a real estate agent in the town. Mm-hmm. And he picked her up and um, took her to his place instead of taking her to her place, mm-hmm. giving her a ride. And that she said that um he had gotten naked in the bed, was trying to do stuff with her, and she claimed that she um, shot him in the back of the head mm-hmm. and that it was all her doing and had nothing to do with her boyfriend. Or And, um, yeah. Yeah, so she basically stood up for the guy who had put her in this position in the first place. Kind of sounds that way when I read it. Mm-hmm. I, it sounded like... She was taking all the blame, and maybe it isn't really her. Maybe she wasn't the whole thing to blame there. Yeah, because I'm not sure. I I I think there's more to the story than mm-hmm. what they're actually putting out there. Yeah, there is, and I looked into that too. There were tons of articles about this, like almost one a day. I felt like I ran across, and it was more information. Some of the articles that I read. Well, I'll just read some of the pieces here that um that I've gotten from some of the articles. One of the reporters, I think this guy's from Nashville, Berman is his name from Fox 17. He's quoted saying, this is a a young girl who's at the tail end of three generations of violence against women. Her mother, her grandmother, and herself were all victims of rape. And so it's quoted saying she had no chance. And now, since some of this information is, uh, I think she's in the process of appealing her case so that she doesn't have to serve the whole life sentence. If she was to be able to, she wouldn't uh, be eligible for parole until she was 69. And she's only 20 years old right now, in her late 20s, I think. Right, right. She was 16 when she was convicted in mm-hmm. 2006. So she's in her late 20s at this time. Yep. And so now a lot of the celebrities, including like Rihanna, LeBron James, Snoop Dogg, Kim Kardashian, are all advocating for her in an effort to show her some sort of mercy around this. Uh, I think it was Rihanna was quoted saying, did we somehow change the definition of justice along the way? Something is horribly wrong when the system enables these rapists and the victim is thrown away for life. To each of you who are responsible for this child's sentence, I hope, God, you don't have children because this could be your daughter and being punished for already being punished. And that was a strong statement, too, from Rihanna, looking at the behind the picture point of this of this post and knowing that this is something that's going to affect her forever. You know what I'm saying? Or even the individuals mm-hmm. who's behind this child. And granted, like you said before, a lot of she's 16, you know, she's she's run away. She's punished by being with this guy who forced her into this lifestyle of prostitution and uh, drugs. And now she's, you know, in a position where she has to defend her life by chance. Nobody knows the, you know, circumstances of what really happened there besides her, but being 
in a position to have to defend her life and then being punished for this whole ordeal. Um, that's that's heart, disheartening in, in a sense. Um, but what really stood out to me about the case was what she said herself. And she's quoted saying, nothing bad affected me from childhood. I was 13 and I thought I knew it all. You don't know half of what you think you know. You don't think of the future consequences of your actions. But things from my childhood stick with you. It affects your self-esteem, yourself, how you view relationships. Pimps, she says, have a way of getting into your mind and you believe everything they say. They can mold you, shape you, break you until you're like a little puppy in a puppy mill, shrinking and, and scared of everyone. She encourages young people to listen to adults. They're here for a reason. I miss getting a driver's license, going to prom. I wish I would have listened to people in my life that were positive. Now that she is sentenced to life behind bars, her worries have changed. If someone feels like something is wrong, do something about it. Write a letter, speak out. Don't just be outraged. What would her victim's family say? I don't know, she said. They said during the victim impact statements at her trial that they hated her. She responded to the questions. To hope they've forgiven me is naive. She looks away thinking of the victim. He was a Sunday school teacher, sang in the choir. Then she frowns. But he knew how old I was, 16. I told him. And he did it, solicited her for sex. I don't get it. Sex crimes against underage girls continue to baffle her. And so just looking at it from her perspective as a 16-year-old girl who actually committed to crime, now being 20-something years old and looking back saying, wow, you know what I mean? This is my mm-hmm. life. This is the point it has gotten to my childhood. And for her to say things from her childhood didn't affect her is what she thought initially. But now looking back at 20-something years old, it definitely affected her. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a, a big choice that she made. Mm-hmm. Running away from home at 16 mm-hmm. as a child. You didn't think that that would lead to you being a murderer at, you know, right. years down the line. So the purpose of just looking at these posts and being able to see them for more than what they are. A lot of people like and, uh, and share these posts, but not really looking at the physical and psychological effects that these people endure behind just the uh, hashtag free this person or hashtag justice or whatever else it may be. So that's where I kind of want to go into now, as far as just looking at some of the physical and psychological effects that uh, human trafficking victims um, often undergo. So some of the physical effects um, that these people experience has to do, well, it's, it's a combination of two, of course, is both physical and psychological, but the traffickers use physical violence to dominate and control their victims. Some of the tactics include starvation, beating, rapes, gang rapes. Um, victims also experience violence and harm from some of the people who they're purchasing sex acts from. So in the case with Centoya, I think, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name right. Right. <laughs> but with the case with her, um, there's oftentimes that the, the John or the person that's paying for the services don't even know that this, this is a trafficked victim. Don't even know that, you know, she's not willingly engaging in this activity on her own um, behalf. And so that's where, you know, some of those individuals can be hurt, too, because she could just be fed up with being sold. And now he's a victim of a crime as well. Mm-hmm. Some of the other common injuries include broken bones, concussions, burns, um, brain traumas. For women, especially engaging in commercial sex activities, there's a lot of gynecologic health issues, too, as far as like 
STDs, menstrual pains, irregularly, uh, irregularities, miscarriages, uh, forced abortions. That's yeah. a whole nother deal too that I didn't really think of initially when I, because you're having sex, you know, that that's right. definitely a possibility there. Right. And if the John doesn't want to have a condom on or if mm. the um, who, pimp or whoever it is that they're living with that's trafficking them out, um, mm-hmm. doesn't want to wear a condom, then they're going to get pregnant if they're not on any kind of birth control, if they have no access to birth control. Right. And even if they are on birth control, many women get pregnant being mm-hmm. on birth control. So, yeah. And then with the whole idea of not knowing who you're, where this child came from, if you're performing numerous sexual acts in a day or a week, right. you're not knowing who this child's father is. And then the whole thought of by itself, I mean, any, any female who gets pregnant in their teenage years are already, that's a traumatic experience in itself. Right. You know, and then having to be forced to, to end that. Or what if you were a little girl dreaming of having kids and a family and this is how you're going to raise your kids and... Now you're in a position where you have to decide whether or not you even want to keep this kid because you don't know who the father is. You don't know what that's going to look like if your pimp even lets you keep it in the Right, first I was going to say that would be a big thing because mm-hmm. if you're going to be pregnant and have a baby, you're going to be out of commission mm-hmm. and their pimp's not going to want that. So, exactly. you know, forced abortions would mm-hmm. be your requirement. Gosh. So some of the psychological effects that comes with this that uh, impacts the victims are, are more severe than the physical effects, according to the health um, the World Health Organization, some of the victims who have been rescued from sexual slavery typically presents with a, a variety of psychological symptoms and mental illnesses like post-traumatic stress disorder. They suffer from depression, anxiety, uh, panic disorder, having thoughts of suicide, uh, substance use to help cope with what they're experiencing, and then Stockholm Syndrome. And that's the idea of falling in love with your abuser or even not in love, more so just having this person be the only connection to life. Cause a lot of times they're disconnected from everything. So they tend to miss the one person who put them in this position in the first place, which could be uh, fairly devastating in the long run. Um, the, uh, oxy- the intimacy issue with, um, having sex when people have sex, um, when a woman orgasms or a man orgasms, uh, we have uh, higher levels of oxytocin that go into our, that come out, or that it's a hormone that is released in our bodies, which helps to um, bring about the bond mm. that you have with an individual. And so, when you're in situations where you've had sex with somebody, or even in the fight, flight, or freeze mode uh, with another person, our bodies naturally release this hormone, which has helped us through you know the centuries to run from danger mm. to or just to protect ourselves in danger. Well, this oxytocin in situations like this is what is causing an intimate relationship or an intimate bond with someone who is, um, you know, harming them and mm-hmm. they and they fall in love, not realizing that it, it is a harmful or maybe they even know that it's a harmful, but because mm-hmm. of that intimate bond that they have created mm-hmm. with the abuser through the sexual activity or through the abuse, because oxytocin is released, because it's a heightened awareness, um, then that's where a lot of this um, emotional connection will come about. That also relates to, because it's just sticking out to me that that's probably why victims of domestic violence or survivors of domestic violence stay for so long because of that connection that they share with that person. And the fact that, too, a lot of people 
are, when they're in those situations, they're isolated from everybody else. So that's the only person that's providing for you, you know, so there's a lot of negativity there in the fact that they make you feel the way that they do physical violence, psychological effects. But then they're this nurturing piece too, that they're the only person caring for you. They're the only person providing for you. And that's where I think a lot of people lack that understanding of when they ask, why, why don't they just leave? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. why are they still there? Why did they get there in the first place? And so I guess I'll turn it to you. So, you know, you can sort of answer some of those questions as far as well, yeah, getting to, you know, why don't victims of uh, sexual trafficking um, ask for help? You know, many of the human, the, the women or men or children who are trafficked, you know, they don't identify themselves as victims. You know, some commonly blame themselves for what has happened. And that's because, you know, they are runaways or, mm-hmm. you know, they feel like they put themselves in these positions and that it was their fault that they were there in the first place. And they look at it as a self-flaw or a self-choice mm-hmm. um, in getting into that. And so additionally, sex traffickers often intentionally misidentify women and girls as being willing participants in the sex trade. Mm-hmm. So who who make their own free choice to be there. And then, of course, finally, victims may not know their physical location and or may not speak out or understand the local language. Mm. Um, you that know, part. Yeah. So, you know, you've got someone who's been trafficked from the United States over to another country Mm. and they don't speak the language. There's no way that they would be able to know how to ask for help if they could ask for Mm -hmm. help, you know, because the trafficking isn't just what happens in the United States. It's what happens when people from here are taken elsewhere too. And then vice versa too. People come here because a lot of times too, and that's the whole purpose of this podcast is to just give you some insight into what's happening behind the pole. Some of the meaning of what's really going on, the the effects, the emotions, the feelings, the, you know, lifelong effects that could take place from some of these things that are happening in the media. A lot of times, even with trafficking, there's movies around that, but that sort of glorify them or per, portrays one person as, as a victim. And like the movie Taken, you know, where mm-hmm. he's like going across the world to, she was in a foreign country. I think they had went somewhere mm-hmm. and her and her friend had got kidnapped and sold off and drugged up and, and carrying on or even get out. That's another form of human trafficking that I, that really clicked when I seen that movie. But these people are going to this different piece of mission or wherever they were, this different place and are transformed into these totally different people. You know, they're, they're yeah. took against their wills there. So just to show and provide some insight into how the media portrays it, some of the um, more damaging effects behind it, just the post from a helping professional's perspective. And so I hope that this was very informative for you guys. I will provide some other information around this topic um, in the below section here so that you can have access to some of those things as far as resources to help individuals with this. Um, there's another, there's a movie coming out called Breaking the Chains about this that I think we should definitely go see. It's mm-hmm. based off some of the stories or memoirs, memoirs Memoirs. Memoirs from um, individuals who are trafficked right out in Detroit. Oh, wow. So it's really close. Yeah, so I think we should definitely look into that. I was going to watch it fairly uh, recently, but it sort of got lost in everything else I was doing. But yeah, so I'll put that link down below too so that you can have like a more... uh, a greater glimpse inside the lives of these individuals from their own perspectives. Um, So that concludes this episode of Talks with Tees. Thanks for listening. Please like, share, and comment. So that concludes this episode of Talks with T. Do you feel me?